I hope uh, you're well. Hope Purim was nice. And, and uh, I don't know if uh, anyone is leaving Israel for Pesach. And never, you're all here? Okay. So it's convenient. When Mashiach comes, you'll be here. It'll, be, it'll save, you a, save you a trip. Okay, so uh, again, today, as I say, I, uh, I'm still just doing different topics, and, and uh, you're always welcome to uh, email me. Uh, the reason why I'm doing kind of different topics is because some of you have heard uh, a lot of stuff on medical ethics. I will get back to it a little later, but I'll do some new stuff for a while. So what I wanted to talk about today uh, is something very practical, especially before before Yamtif, and that is the idea of being taivel utensils. And uh, when when are you taivel? When are you not taivel? When do you make a bracha? When don't you make a bracha? Uh, what are the halachos if you're going to your parents and uh, they have kosher dishes, but very often they were not immersed in a mikvah, and uh, what are you supposed to do? Uh, but before I do that, I'm going to talk about something that maybe is a little less familiar to people, and that is some of the halachos regarding the construction of a mikvah. Now again, uh, the average Orthodox Jew, man or woman, is not involved directly in constructing a mikvah, so you'd figure it's not something you need to know in terms of your life as a Jewish woman, but it is part of Torah, and I would, I would think it would be interesting to know a little bit about what makes a mikvah a, a mikvah and, and the like. So first of all, keep in mind that there are two types of kosher immersions. There is what is called a mikvah, and there is what is called a mayan, mayanot, right, mayan. A mikvah is a collection of rainwater. A mayan is a spring that gushes up from the ground, even if the water accumulates in a, in a mikveh area. Uh, for example, uh, in Sfat, where the Ari, uh, in the, the, there, there's the Arizal's mikveh, that is actually a mayan, that is a gushing spring. Now, both of them are kosher. A mikveh can either be in a collection of rainwater, or a mikveh can be a mayan, but there are two differences between mayan and mikvah. Number one, a mikvah is kosher only if the water is stationary. If the water is moving water, it is not kosher. So for example, uh, you can normally not go to the mikvah in a river because a river, a lot of the water comes from rainfall and since the river is moving, uh, it is not uh, kosher. Uh, rainwater is only kosher when it's stationary. Rainwater is not kosher when it is moving. So that's the problem with a river. A mayan, however, if you really have a gushing spring of water, that is kosher even if it is moving water. Now, halakhically, this raises some other questions as well. Obviously, anytime you go to a mikvah, the, the water is moving back and forth. That, that's obvious, right? I mean, you're moving the water. But that's okay because that's movement within the mikvah uh, bathtub, so to speak, itself. But halakhically, if there's a crack in a mikvah, that can be surprisingly very severe. Let's imagine you have a regular mikvah. Kosher mikvah. And the mikvah simply has a crack in the floor or a crack in the wall in which some of the water is seeping out you have to realize that that may make the whole mikvah possible because it is moving water out of the mikvah area and that is a psal. And that's why one of the things that have to be supervised in a mikvah 
is to be sure there are no cracks or crevices which allows the water to flow out. And that's not only because you'll lose your quantity. I mean, let's assume your mikvah is so big that you know, there's plenty of water in the mikvah. You're not going to lose your quantity. But you can have a psal, and the technical word for that psal is called zechila. Zechila just means uh, moving water. Zochalin is moving water. Zechila is movement, is a noun that means movement. But that is only a psal if your mikvah is from rainwater, if you're, which most mikvahs are. If your mikvah is a mayan, mayanot are metaher even bizachila. Okay, so that's one difference between a mikvah and a mayan. Uh, a second difference is the minimum quantity of water that you need. A mikvah of rainwater is only kosher if it has a minimum amount of water. If it has less than that amount of water, the mikvah is invalid. Now, the quantity that a mikvah must have in halacha is given as 40 sa'ah. Sa'ah is a volume measurement, 40 sa'ah. And in modern terms, 40 sa'ah is approximately 600 liters of water. That's an approximate number. So what's a liter? You know what a liter is. If you're a metric system person, you know. And even if you're uh, an American that doesn't think metrically, like I don't really think metrically, but I think about a big Coke bottle. A big Coke bottle, I think, is a liter. Is that, that correct? How many liters? 600. So a mikvah is 600 liters. If all you have, and typically, by the way, an average mikvah has around 2,000 liters. So uh, you're way, way up, up there. Uh, but technically, if the mikvah only has 599 liters, totally invalid, it's no good. But the halacha is true only if it's a mikvah of rainwater. If you have a mayan, a gushing spring, uh, you actually don't need any quantity as long as whatever you're being tovel is covered up. Now, if th that does mean if you want to be tovel in a mayan, it still has to cover all of your body all at once. Uh, so that's going to be pretty close to the 40 sub. But let's say you want to be tovel a, a coffee mug. You want to be tovel a small pot. Now, if you're using a regular mikvah, it still has to be 40 sub, even for a small pot. But if you're tovel in a mayan, you can be tovel even if it's less than 40 sub. Okay, so that's uh, uh, num the, the rule number one to know. The two differences between mikvah, which is a collection of rainwater, and mayan, which is a gushing spring from the underground, and that is rainwater is not kosher if it's moving. So again, I'll give you the Hebrew words. It is pasol bizochalin. And it is kosher only if it's ashboren. Ashboren is a term that means stationary water. Zochalin is a term that means moving water. And for practical purposes, that is why you cannot be taivel in a river. A river. A lake is okay, right? A lake is stationary if it's a, if it's a natural lake. A river is moving. Uh, and in addition, uh, that is the problem with cracks in the floor or the sides of mikvahs, because you may be having a problem of zechila, so those cracks have to be repaired. You can, huh? you can in a river, but not a lake. No, no, the other way around. 
you cannot be tovel in a river, but you can be tovel in a lake. A river, a river, huh? A lake is stationary. That's correct. A river is moving water, so moving water is a problem. Now it's interesting. According to this logic, you would think that the ocean would be no good, but the mice of the ocean is good. That's kind of a special gezera sakasif. So you can go to the mikveh in an ocean. Why? Because the Torah calls, the, the Torah uses the word mikveh by ocean. In the beginning of Bracious, it says, God called mikveh mayim, God called the collection of water a yam. So the Torah does call uh, a yam, uh, a yam is an ocean, uh, it does call it a, a kosher mikveh, uh, but a river is generally, again, I'm simplifying a little bit, but a river is generally no good. A lake is good if it's natural. I'll talk about man-made lakes. Uh, that, that's a, a that could be a very big problem. Uh, and uh, a mayan does not need forty sa'a. So if I, for example, want to be taivel, uh a cup or a small metal dish in a small mayan that is not forty sa'a, it would be kosher. But if I want to be taivel in a mikvah that does not have forty sa'a, that would be Puzzle. Okay, so these are two differences between mikvah and mine. Someone had a question? Someone had a hand up? Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so you said that moving water is good, but moving water is generally not good. So if rainwater, so if you're outside in the rain and whatever is raining and like, I don't know, you either like drink it on accident or like a drop falls, like is that an issue? I mean, falls where? Where in the like, mikvah? Where, where does it fall? Know, like to drink. He's about no, no, when no, I said... No, but to drink, you said it was an issue too, right? Oh, no, 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 you, you can drink, you can drink moving oh, water. Right. I, I could open my mouth and drink rainwater, that, that's yeah. fine. No, no, I just said it's an issue of, of, of going to the mikvah, that it's not a kosher immersion in a mikvah if the water is moving. But if you're drinking, uh, that's fine, you can drink uh, moving water. Just be sure you make a bracha before it yeah. uh, goes in your mouth. Yeah. What about the snow or like a river that's yeah, that's an excellent question. Of course, the question is: even if it's stationary, um, if it's ice or snow, it's not it's not in a water state, right? So, yeah. in other words, that may be well, a separate problem. Like the top layer is ice, and you can like, crack it. Well, uh, okay, I'll, I'll get to that. I mean, you know, as, as you know, historically, uh, there were many, many uh, righteous women who, uh, in places where there were no mikvahs, they would actually make a hole in the ice yeah. and and go in. Uh, yeah, so, so it would be kosher, but, but again, only if the water is not uh, moving. Only if it's not moving. Okay, so that's the difference between a mikvah and a mayan. Now, as I say, most mikvahs that you will encounter in the world are rainwater mikvahs. There aren't that many mikvahs that are based on springs. Uh, probably the most famous spring mikvah is the Ariz mikvah in Sfat. And I don't know if you went to it, uh, depending on the year, sometimes, yeah, yeah, sometimes women are allowed to go, uh, sometimes women are not allowed to go because there are a lot of men there that are going, uh, but what they say about the Arizal's mikvah is, well, you heard there was a curse? Yeah, I heard that. What was curse, the curse? A curse for women or a curse generally? A curse that if women, like, because some women will sneak in at night or when there's no guard around. Yeah, like, yeah. There's a curse. Well, I, I don't know about that, but, but I, I do know that there are many years women are not allowed to go. Once in a while, they'll make a Women's Day or something uh, where they're allowed to go. Uh, but the thing about the Arizal's mikvah is that they say 
that anyone that goes to the Arizal's mikvah is given a divine promise that they will do tshuva before they die, meaning it purifies them so they will come close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It is also, because it's a spring, it's a very fresh spring, so even though a lot of mikvahs are not the most pleasant place, sometimes they get dirty, but, but the Ariz mikvah is a very clean mikvah because spring water keeps on... We drink the water and it's healing. Yeah, it, it keeps on, you keep on getting fresh water, right? Yeah. And even though it's moving, that's fine because a spring is kosher uh, even if it's moving, uh, moving water, right? So that's not a, not a problem. It is also ice cold, very, 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 very cold. So it's, it's actually hard. Uh, uh, I, I did it once as a much, much younger person. I have not had the uh, courage to do it again, but I figured hopefully, hopefully, even the first time will give me the promise of, of tshuva. So, uh, I'm going to rely on that. Uh, but it is very, very ice cold. And spring mikvahs will tend to be cold because it's fresh water and it's gushing water and the like. But uh, other than that, you're not going to encounter spring mikvahs very much. Uh, the typical mikvah is made from either rainwater or I'll get to ice and snow. That'll be fascinating. Now, here is the big problem. So now we have another issue about mikvah you need to know about. Uh, in order for the rainwater to be kosher, it cannot have been, it cannot have gone through metal pipes or utensils or receptacles. Meaning to say, let's take a very simple situation. Uh, why can't I use a bathtub? Okay, a bathtub is probably not 40 sub, but let's assume I have a big bathtub. Why can't I just turn on the tap, fill up a swimming pool? Now, yeah, that comes from the reservoirs, but the reservoirs come from rainwater, right? So uh, what is the problem with a bathtub or a swimming pool being a mikvah. There's enough water there, and a swimming pool is stationary water. It's not moving around. So the problem is simply this. The problem is that rainwater must enter the mikvah not through pipes, not through metal pipes, not through receptacles like pots and pans or conveyors. It must enter like directly from the sky. I'll discuss how that works. Uh, which means, in other words, uh, how does the rainwater get into the mikvah? Okay, it can't go in through the tap. It cannot go in through the plumbing system. Mm -hmm. It cannot even go in through pipes, right? So ideally, the way it should go in is you have a, a hole in the roof, so to speak, over the mikvah, and the rainwater just fills the mikvah by going through the hole in the roof. But that's a little impractical. So Lamaisa, we have another way of doing it, and that is, the halacha is that if the pipes are not metal, if the pipes are rubber or plastic or even cement, that's considered to be an acceptable conduit for the rainwater. So, so therefore, the way water enters a mikvah, rainwater, we're not talking about spring water. Mm -hmm. The way rainwater enters a mikvah is not through pipes, not through plumbing, not through carrying it in a utensil like a pot or something and pouring it in. Uh, that would make the water puzzle. It enters by essentially accumulating on the roof and then going through plastic, rubber, or cement pipes that are not susceptible to any type of ritual impurity. And that is how the water is 
collected. Now, again, I'm giving you a little technical vocabulary. Uh, the disqualification of water that goes through pipes or, um, uh, or the tap system, that is called she'uvim. She'uvim means drawn water. Water, literally, it means water that was drawn with a bucket. But that applies to anything that went through pipes. And she'uvim make a mikvah puzzle, even if the water is stationary, and even if the water uh, is 40 sa'ah. So in order for the water not to be she'uvim, it must enter the mikvah not through metal pipes or the like, or through a filtration system even. It must go through uh, either a hole in the roof, and it simply goes through the air. Of course, then it has to be stationary when it lands. Uh, or, uh, as I say, plastic, rubber, or cement. Okay, now... Okay, so we talked a lot. So we talked about uh, the psul of zochalin. Zochalin is movable water, and now we talked about the psul of sheuvim, which is drawn water, water that goes through pipes or the like. So now I'm going to mention a third problem, and that is, it takes a long time. Remember, you have to have 600 liters of rainwater going through, not going through the pipe system, not going through the tap. Now think about that. Let's imagine you're in Israel. How You're building a mikvah for your new community. And by the way, Chabad Shaluchim have this problem all the time. They're building mikvahs in different, uh, different places. And they have their mikvahs. They, they, they got their million dollars to build a mikvah. Now they have to fill it up. You would think, oh, filling up mikvah is easy. Just turn on the tap. Takes time, two minutes. No, you got to get 600 liters of rainwater that comes through your roof. You know how long that's going to take? That can take a very, very, very long time. That could take a year. It could take more than a year. And there may be places in the world where you're not going to get that amount of rainwater. So what on earth do you do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was. It was really cold, so they bought like huge blocks of ice. Right. Uh, so th- this is what I want to explain. Oh, yeah. Right. That's very good. So here we need to understand the following idea. Ideally, the mikvah should be rainwater that has not gone through pipes. Right. That's the idea. There are going to be places where you're not going to get that amount of rain, no matter what you do, and you can't have somebody bring it in a truck. Because being in the truck is in a metal vessel that's going to make the water puzzle, right? You can't even have a water truck. So what do you do? So here we have the very fascinating idea of the use of ice or snow. Actually, ice is the better thing, better thing to use. Uh, and that is the following. There is a concept that the only thing that becomes puzzle, puzzle meaning invalid, when it's in a vessel or a pipe is water. Water becomes invalid when it's in a vessel or a pipe. But if it is in the form of ice and it's put into the mikvah as ice, you take blocks of ice that you put in the mikvah and it melts in the mikvah, that is called natural rainwater because the transportation of it when it was ice is not a psul of she'uvim. She'uvim 
drawn water is only when it's water and not when it's ice. So what is sometimes done is that ice blocks, and that can be transported even by a truck. You can have a truck that brings ice, and the ice is deposited in the mikveh. Actually, it's not deposited in the mikveh usually for various other reasons. It's deposited outside of the mikveh, and as it melts, it runs into the mikveh. In fact, I actually heard something. I, they had a shaluchos conference recently. Maybe that's where you heard it too. Yeah. Uh, and uh, a woman was describing uh, this, how, you know, she, you know they, they finally brought the ice. Now, this is 600 liters of ice, right? And she figured, Baruch Hashem, like the mikvah will be, you know, open tomorrow. <laughs> it, it takes a lot. She said, you don't know how long it takes for 600 liters of ice to melt. You know, that's also going to be a, at least a week or so. But okay, but it's a week. It's not, uh, it's not a year. And they wait. So, it's, so imagine this. You have a mountain of ice kind of a mountain of ice in the mikvah. And as it melts, the water moves into the mikvah and you eventually have your 600 liters. Okay, so these are the two delivery systems depending on where you, uh, what, type of, what type of country you live in. If it's a country with reasonable rain, uh, the rain comes through the roof and it enters the mikvah through cement, rubber, or plastic piping. Uh, if you live in a place that does not have that much rain, so we rely on the idea of transporting ice, uh, putting the ice blocks right outside of the mikvah, and as the ice melts and goes into the mikvah, eventually the mikvah fills up, and you have your 600 liters, which is 40 saw. Okay, and this relies on the idea that the pasul of the sho'uvim is only when it's water. And that is why it is said that when the ice is carried from the truck, it should be carried in baskets with big holes in them. Do you understand why? Because if you simply carry it in a regular receptacle, there's water that's going to accumulate. And that melted water is sho'uvim, and when you dump it into the mikvah with the ice, you may be making the mikvah puzzle. In other words, you want to be sure that any melted water before you put the ice down got discarded. Because any melted water that accumulates in the basket or the truck is sheuvim, and that's going to make the mikvah puzzle. So you kind of imagine a basket with a lot of big openings in it, like a basket with little big holes. So the ice is carried in those baskets, so any melted water uh, goes away, and then you put the blocks of ice down on the floor, uh, the blocks of ice melt, and you get your, you get your mikvah, okay? And this can be done even if the original water was tap water. It's very interesting, because once it becomes ice, it loses its status. So you can actually, no, because uh, ice is a new entity. Ice is not considered water. Uh, and therefore, uh, even if you made ice uh, from tap water, uh, once it's ice, it can be taken to a mikvah, it can melt down, and that's how you fill a mikvah. But even that's not the end of things. That's not the end of things. So why didn't they just make it from tap water, these vegetables on? Why did they have to ship well, well, the reason is because you need a lot. It's hard to make 600 liters of ice uh, from your tap water. They, they could. They could, but, but you know, you need a lot of ice. I mean, just like, uh, I used to wonder when I was a kid, like, why do stores sell ice? Yeah. I didn't understand. Why do stores sell ice? Mm -hmm. Everybody has ice. 
then you realize you're making a big party, right? So you need, you need more ice than your refrigerator has. So kal v'chomer, when it comes to the amount of ice you need for a mikvah. Yeah. If you were building a mikvah near a lake or the ocean, could you take like plastic bowls and fill it with ocean water and then carry it there? Okay, so, so here's the thing. Uh, technically, you could not. You could build a plastic pipe. See, the problem is there are two different rules here. There is a rule about no metal. That's one rule. And then there's also a rule that the water cannot accumulate in a vessel, even if it's plastic. So the only way you can use the plastic or the cement or the rubber is if it's not in the shape of a vessel that holds the water. So you would not be allowed to use even a plastic bucket would be a problem of shuvim. So but a pipe is open and bu- yes, as a, ma- a- as a matter of fact, you, as a matter of fact, you could. That would be the same principle at that point. Uh, but but to have a vessel like whether it's a bucket or or a bowl, that would be no good even if it's plastic because that would be called shuvim. Okay, so so far, uh, right? So wherever you you know you can go back now, you know how to build a mikvah. Mm-hmm. But this is not the end of it. This is not the end of it, because here's the problem. Obviously, you want to be able to change water. Right? People use the water, and the water gets dirty, and you want to change the water. Now, if you're going to be changing the water, then, then every two days, every three days, every four days, whatever, however, however often you change it, you're going to have to do the whole thing over again? That doesn't make sense. That's prohibitive. Uh, so how do you get around the idea that even once you have the mikvah, how are you going to be able to change it without having to start from square one. So here is the final halacha that you need to know. And that is, this is the, I don't want to call it a dirty secret because everything about mikvah is holy, but this is the (laughs) secret about mikvah that a lot of people don't know. You never are going in the real mikvah. When you go, uh, either you or your kalim, whatever it is, whether it's the vessels, whether it's a ger, whether it's a nida, whether it's a chassid who goes to the mikveh every day, it makes no difference. Nobody's going into the real mikveh. You're going into a fake mikveh. In other words, you're going into a bathtub that is filled up with tap water. So what's going on? It's not a kosher mikveh. Ah, so here is the important thing. The real kosher mikveh, which is filled up the way we described it, that's called the bore, the pit. And the halacha is... If there's a hole in the wall, right? Let's imagine this is the place that you go you go into. This is like the bathtub, mm-hmm. filled up, drained, filled up, drained. Tap water. It's all shuvim. It's all shuvim. But if there's a hole connecting the shuvim to the bore, the bore, the chibor, the connection to the bore, kashers even the shuvim water. Okay, which means to say the following. The way we maintain our mikvahs is that the bore never ha- almost never has to be refilled because nobody uses the bore. The bore remains a bore. In fact, you can't, you can't even see the bore. I mean, the bore is behind a solid wall. I mean, there is a door there because the rabbi has to check it, etc., for cracks and the like. There are things like that. But the bore water is never used. It's never used. All there is is a hole. The hole is uh, the circumference of two fingers. Imagine two fingers going around in a circle, kind of the size of a 
size of a half dollar, an old half dollar, if you know what that was. It's a hole in the wall. And the hole in the wall means that some of the water in the bore touches. In fact, the word is hashaka. Hashaka is kissing. The water kisses the she'uvim. The she'uvim now become kosher for immersion. And we can drain and fill and drain and fill and drain and fill the actual immersion area as many times as we want. And even though technically that water is she'uvim, it is kosher through the process of hashaka. Hashaka is literally the kissing of the war water, the mikvah water, with the uh, non-mikvah water, with the she'uvim. Now, that's why this little opening, which is stopped up with a rubber stopper when, when the mikvah is not being used, that opening is absolutely crucial. Sometimes what happens is they forget to unstop the mikvah. If I went to the mikvah and the stopper was in the wall, my immersion is not valid because I went into a mikvah of she'uvim, right? You can, it's okay I use the Hebrew words there. I went into a mikvah of she'uvim, which was not attached to a kosher mikvah. That stopper, I'm sorry, the, the, the removal of the stopper is what enables you to be tovel in the, uh, in the so-called mikvah. So the so-called, I mean, I'll call it mikvah because we call it a mikvah, but the so-called area that you're tovel in is not really the mikvah. The real mikvah is the boar, and the only reason you could be tovel where you're tovel is because of the concept of hashaka. So now, this gives us the basic halachas, okay? So now you understand. So now you understand why you could drain and fill and drain and fill and drain and fill the mikvah 10 times a day. And as long as you have hashaka to what's called the bore, you're going to be okay, yeah. How is it open and closed? So it's open and it's closed. There's a, there's a hole in the wall. Mm -hmm. And then they take a rubber, like stopper, and the rubber stopper is plugged in. Do, the, do that between each use? No, usually they, they keep it open for the day. Uh, but but when, when you have the last mikvah appointment uh, is finished, let's say at night, then you plug it in they plug it in. Day. Yeah, and then they, in other words, whenever they want to, I mean, obviously when they, you see, when they, when they want to drain the uh, regular mikvah, they have to have the stopper in, otherwise the water from the bore is going to go in at the water level. Because that water is not like treated or anything. No, the bore water is not treated. No, the, the mikvah. Uh, well, it depends. Uh, it actually is. It actually is. Uh, dep depends. I mean, uh, a lot of mikvahs are treated with chlorine, especially, okay. to, especially today. Yeah, yeah. No, they are. And halakhically, you're allowed to treat. You are, you are allowed to treat you the water. You are allowed to treat Yeah, you are allowed to treat the water. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. There, there are rules. In fact, uh, there's an interesting shayla about can the water go through a filter, but we, we pass and that can also be the case. So now... Let me mention, all right, so until now, this is standard stuff about mikvahs. So now, interestingly enough, Chabad has a unique chumrah. I don't know if you've ever heard, probably, I don't know if you've ever discussed it. Sometimes you'll hear that a community has a regular mikvah, and the Chabad shaluchim did their own mikvah. Now, why would that be so? I mean, you know, why, why, why you know, what, what's wrong? Regular mikvah is a regular mikvah. Because uh, the Rebbe Rashab 
And this, is nothing, this has nothing to do with Hasidus. This is not a Hasidus thing. It's a matter of pure halacha. The Rebbe Rashab raised a halachic concern about the standard construction of mikvah. Again, this is not a Hasidus thing, although it happens to be a Chabad Chumrah. And that is the following. Hashaka works. What is the theory of Hashaka? That since I have a kosher bore of rainwater, it will kosher the water that's not rain, that, that's she'uvim, that's gone through pipes and the like, right? That's the theory of Hashaka. So the Rebbe Rashad was concerned. I mean, other, I mean, he was not the first one. Other people were concerned as well. That over time, there's going to be an exchange of waters here, meaning to say the, the water here is not kosher for the mikveh intrinsically. The water here is kosher. So that's good. So as long as you have 40 saw, 600 liters in here, you're going to be okay. But in the course of time, now usually they have much more than usually, usually they'll have 2,000 liters, whatever it would be. But in the course of time, if you go long enough, eventually some of the water on the other side of the hole is going to be coming from there, and some of the bore water is going to enter the mikvah and be drained out with the water. So there may come a time where you no longer have the 600 liters of kosher mikvah water in your bore. You'll have 600 liters, but maybe only 400 will be uh, the original mikvah water, and 200 might be from the other one, right? So you have a problem here. Uh, how do you ensure over time that you will have your 600 liters uh, in the bore that will kosher the mikvah water, right? So because of this, uh, the Rebbe Rashab proposed that there be a bore on top of a bore, meaning the way it works is that this is called bore al-gabe bore, meaning to say you have a bottom cistern that has 600 liters, and then you have a top cistern that has 600 liters, and it's the top cistern that is connected to the other water. And the way it works is that even if the top gets depleted because of the water exchange, you'll always have the bottom in which there's no exchange at all because nothing is moving from the top. The, the surface tension prevents any part of the... I mean, water, water works with gravity, so the, the water in the bottom is never going to seep into the top. And therefore, it still becomes a hashaka because the way it works is the outer water is connected to the top one, but the top one is connected to the bottom one. So you have uh, a ripple effect, literally, in which there'll be a hashaka. So this means, in other words, this is called bor al-gabe bor, a pit on top of a pit, and it is designed to prevent the depletion of the requisite 40 sa'ah in the hashaka so that you don't have to worry about depletion of the water. So it's a Chabad Chumrah. Uh, many, many people do follow it, even if they're not uh, Chabad. Other people do not follow it. And you'll find uh, that uh, Shluchim will be very, very strict on it, that they will not, not, not I mean, maybe maybe for other, maybe for their congregants, they won't be so strict if that's the only mikvah. I mean, it's better, better to go than not to go. I mean, they're not, they're not going to tell somebody who wants to keep Tyrus and Mishpacha, oh, your wife shouldn't go to the mikvah because it's not a boral gabi boy. I mean, they're not going to say that. Uh, but for their own families, uh, they will be fairly strict and uh, they will delay Tevila until they could find a mikvah that's a boar al-gabe boar. Yeah.
So, if you live in a place where there isn't a mikvah, but there is like an ocean or yeah. a lake or something, yeah, and you that's very accessible to you, yeah. So you could either go there or there's an established mikvah, but you'd have to drive like quite a long way. Is there a preference of which one you should do? You're not talking about driving on Shabbos. You're talking no, about no, just no, general. No, 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 no. Like, yeah. if you're a woman yeah. and you need to go, yeah. like, should you go to the established I think I think going to an established mikveh is better for, for a number of reasons. Number one, you know, uh, normally a woman is inspected before she goes to a mikveh to be sure there are no tangles in her hair and the like. And if you're going to a lake, you know, you don't have the inspection or the supervision. And number two, uh, you know, lakes, by definition, there's a certain compromise of modesty. And uh, if you go at night, there's also a dangers and risks. You know, that, that's a dangerous thing to uh, go at night into a lake or, or something like that. So I would advise normally to, to go to an established uh, mikra. But as I say, uh, lakes are kosher. Now, again, a man-made lake is a problem because a man-made lake, the water was delivered through pipes and, and the like, and then you have that problem unless you have a hashaka, which you usually don't, uh, don't have. Okay, but uh, natural lakes are good, uh, oceans are good, rivers are not good because of uh, zochalin. Uh, yeah, yeah. What about the same situation, like the clothes, the, you, there's a mikvah in your town that's not up to the standards of, I guess, chalad or chalad. Yeah. And the closest chalad one would be a three-hour flight. Should you... <laughs> Take the three-hour flight? You, you, no? you know, listen, listen. I mean, I mean it, 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 it's, hard, it's hard for me to answer that question because it really depends on uh, how Chabad are you. Meaning to say, uh, most mainstream poskim do not require bor al-gabe bor. So yeah. if you're just an Orthodox Jew, I would tell you it's fine. Go, go to the mikvah. Yeah. Uh, if, if, you are, if you really follow all of the psakim of Chabad, uh, you, you'd, you'd have to be strict on it. You know. It's okay to push off the mitzvah? Well, it, it, you know, I, I understand what you're saying. What you're saying is, I, I, in other words, you can go to the mikvah on time if it's not bor al gabi bor, but if it's yeah. bor. So uh, I would say that if you really, really hold of Chabad minhagim in, in all respects, you would even push off going to the mikvah. Yeah, but as I say, most opinions do not require a bor al gabi bor. Yeah. So I, I could not tell you it's a halacha that you must follow this, but. Uh, but this was the Chumrah of Chabad. And this is why you'll find that Chabad will sometimes uh, make a point of making a separate uh, mikvah. This is, the, this is the reason. So again, this has nothing to do with Hasidus. This is not a Hasidus thing. This was a halachic concern that the Rebbe Rashab had. Yeah. So with either of our examples, if, what if you don't have the money to, realist, like, to make the travel? to wherever would be the yeah. better ideal choice, yeah. then would that have an influence in the decision? Well, yeah, I, I think so, because uh, there is a concept that uh, called shas hatchak. Shas hatchak means extenuating circumstances, emergency circumstances. And for emergency circumstances, even when you're machmir, you're strict in a certain halachic area, you will be permitted to be lenient when it's an extenuating circumstance. And we also recognize that uh, the relationship of husband and wife is a great mitzvah. To, so to simply say, oh, be machmer and don't, uh, you know, don't be with your husband until, you know, you know that, that's not, not a positive thing either. That we understand that to be able to fulfill 
be fruitful and multiply and be able to fulfill marital relations mm -hmm. is an important enough idea that we're not going to be machmir if that would be at the expense of being able able to uh, able to do that. Okay? Yeah. Like the lake or ocean situation. Yeah. What if you had somebody that could go with you? No. Well, that that that, that, that that is that is the procedure. Meaning, okay. meaning, meaning. If you are using a lake or an ocean, well, yeah. you do have to have a person uh, with you. And by the way, because like, if you then have somebody like, could they like hold up? Like a towel or a sheet or something, so yeah, then yeah. nobody can see you. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, that's you know, that's, that's what you would do. And by the way, the husband is allowed. This is very interesting. The husband is allowed to be his wife's mikvah attendant. Really? Even though you would think, hey, that that that, that sounds very bad. She's a neither. What do you? I mean, you're looking at her. Before. But still, but since she's gonna go to the mikvah right now, so we're not afraid that something will happen improperly uh, in this in the few seconds before she goes to the mikvah. So the husband can come along. Uh, I think I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I have a little bit of a problem with the towel. I'll, I'll tell you why. Unless you have two people, because I think it's very very important. I mean, I, I'm I'm very concerned with safety here, uh, and you know, I, I want the husband to be free to, you know, not be holding stuff that if his wife is. Uh, God forbid gets in trouble, you know, he sees it right away. If he's holding the towel, you know, he's a little distracted or, or whatever, whatever, whatever it would be. I mean, you know, you have in the ocean in particular, you have undercurrents and other things that can be uh, very, very difficult. So uh, it's really a last, uh, it's a last resort. But for Kalen, it could be very good. If you have to be table utensils, which we're going to talk about now, uh, it might be very convenient to go to a lake or an ocean, and there, there's no real danger. You go during the day, and you just put it in. Okay, so uh, this is kind of a, a little, little bit of a survey about the laws of mikvah. I don't know if you ever uh, went through them before, but just to be familiar with some of the complications in, uh, in a mikvah. Uh, now, we know that a mikvah is used for a lot of things. Uh, the most common use of mikvah in the religious world today uh, is for uh, nida. When a woman is a nida, she's not allowed uh, to have marital relations or even affectionate uh, touching until, uh, and a lot of other rules like passing each other, passing things to each other, until she counts at least 12 days, seven clean days without bleeding, and goes to the, uh, goes to the mikvah. Uh, let me just mention an interesting question. I, I, I may have discussed this before, so forgive me if I'm repeating it. A very interesting mikvah question that uh, rabbis sometimes have to face is what if you have uh, a, a man and a woman who are not married? They're not married, but they're interested in becoming more religious, Shabbos and kosher. Now, should I encourage, I'm a rabbi, right? Should I encourage unmarried a woman to go to the mikvah? Yeah. Uh, this is not such an easy question because let, let me. Relations anyway, so it's not like you're no, no. So here's the thing: you have to you have to understand you have to understand that although Judaism uh, does prohibit premarital relations, but premarital relations is not as severe a sin as having relations with a nida. Having relations with a nida is a much more serious sin. Mm. So here's the question: they're having relations anyway. They're sinning anyway. Okay, but if she doesn't go to the mikvah, 
their sin is a very, very serious sin. If they go to the mikvah, it becomes a less serious sin. So the question is, should I encourage them to downgrade their Avera from very severe no. to just severe? Or should my attitude be, hey, if you guys are sinning, you know, it's none of my business to give you a legitimation or a heksher uh, to, what, to what, what you're doing. So different Rabbanim go different ways. I mean, some Rabbanim will actually... Actually, no. Unless they huh? straight up tell you what they're doing, well, uh, okay, but sometimes you sometimes you know. Yeah, sometimes you know. I mean, I mean, listen. I mean, uh, there there were cases that I I knew. I mean, they they told me, and uh, I had no reason to assume that they were lying. You know. Well, she says concubine whether she goes to the mikvah or not. Mikvah has nothing to do with the concubine. I mean, uh, no. What's concubine then? Concubine is simply a a sexual relationship without marriage. Living out of wedlock is a concubine, so that's all. So uh, mikvah would not make a difference there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's an interesting question. Some rabbanim feel that there's a mitzvah to minimize prohibition. Others say that you should never do anything that gives a seal of approval on improper behavior. So that's an interesting question. So, but be, be, be it as it may, mikvah, at least for married women, is uh, the most common use of mikvah. Uh, the second use of mikvah is for conversion. A non-Jew who wants to become Jewish must immerse in a mikvah. Uh, the third is that some men will go to the mikvah when they have a seminal emission, and some will go every day, and some will go Erev Shabbos, etc. Uh, th- these are not mandatory immersions, but, but some will, will go. Uh, out of a sense of Kedusha and the like. Uh, the common denominator of all uh, immersions is there cannot be chatzitza. What is the word chatzitza? Chatzitza is a separation between your skin and the water. So if there's anything on you, such as makeup, piercing. Uh, well, a piercing itself is not a problem, but if there's a jewelry, if you have a piece of jewelry on you, yeah. There would be a problem. Tangled hair, that's why you got to brush the hair, that's why you have to wash the hair. Uh, all of these things potentially can invalidate uh, immersion because the water has to be able to reach every part of the body. And uh, one of the major issues, I'm not going to go over the laws of neither right now, although somebody asked me about going over that, but I'm not going to go over it right now. Uh, but one of the major issues is how does a woman prepare for going to the mikvah because of all of these laws of chatzitza, even things like eating meat. The day a woman goes to the mikvah uh, raises some problems because the meat gets uh, stuck in the teeth and as a result, uh, the water, of course you don't need water to go into your mouth, but, but if you have stuff in your teeth that would block the water if it did come in, that may invalidate the the immersion. Okay, so uh, I'm not going to go over the, those details right now, but this is a whole mikzoa, a whole subject that is called chatzitza, and it doesn't only apply to women, it will also apply to converts, to gayrim, and it will apply even to men who are going to the mikvah for whatever reason. There cannot be a chatzitza. But we now have, so, so I mentioned three situations of mikvah. Uh, one is nida, the second is ger. And the third is uh, seminal emission or before Yavim Tovim or Shabbos or the like. Uh, all of these involve people, people, people going to the mikvah. But we do have an unusual halacha 
that unfortunately even some from people don't keep. It's very, very interesting. This is one of the halachos that, uh, particularly in the modern Orthodox community, sometimes simply gets forgotten legamre. And that is, there is a notion of immersing vessels. Tevilas kalim, it is called. Immersion of a kli of a vessel. And uh, this does not apply to any vessel, right? So, for example, uh, if I buy a uh, computer, <laughs> I don't have to put my computer in the mikvah. Uh, but this applies very specifically to vessels that are utilized in the preparation or consumption. I'll give you some examples of food. It is very much food linked. And uh, before you use the vessel for the preparation, or consumption of food, you have to bring it to the mikvah. The overall idea of this is that shulchan domel mizbeach. this is a teaching of our sages, that a Jewish table, the eating of food, the serving and eating of food, is like an altar bringing a korban to God. We believe that you eat with brachos, you eat with uh, whatever it would be, you're eating in order to serve Hashem, that is a divine service. And therefore, the same way, when a guy becomes a Jew, they have to go to the mikveh to convert, when food utensils are going from the animalistic eating of a non-Jew to the holy eating of a Jew, the vessels have to undergo a conversion process. And the immersion in the mikveh is the conversion of the pot. So the rule is this, therefore. I have Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. When you say eating, that includes drinking also? Yes, yes, yes. I'll, I'll try to give you a lot of examples. So here is the rule. If you buy a clee, well, either buy or get it as a gift, it makes a difference, a utensil that was either owned by a non-Jew or was manufactured by a non-Jewish company, even if you got it from a Jew. So it makes no difference, manufacturer, wholesaler, retailer. If there was a guy who was ownership in any of those processes, and as a three conditions. Number one, it has to be owned by a guy at some point, whether it's manufacturer, Wholesale, retail. Number two, it must be either metal or glass. Metal or glass. So if it's plastic, if it's wood, does not need to be tabled at all. Clay. Huh? Clay. Uh, even clay, I'll get to it. Stoneware does not have to be tabled, right? So condition one is ownership by a guy. Condition two is wood, I'm, I'm sorry, condition two is metal or glass, metal or glass. Condition three, it must be what is called a kli su'uda. Now this is a very important term that's a little complicated. Kli su'uda means a utensil that is connected with a meal, M-E-A-L. Now, by that we mean it is either something that you cook with, pots, pans, 
or it's something that you eat with. Cutlery, plates, if they're either glass or, or metal, and the like. Okay, so these are the three conditions. Owned by a guy, metal or glass, and it's something you either cook with or eat with. Now, let me go over a few situations and, and see if, uh, how this works. So clearly, pots and pans from a non-Jewish enterprise got to be tovel. Uh, dishes, well, if they're glass, got to be tovel. Uh, if they're metal, got to be tovel. Now, one particular issue is, let's take something like China. Very simple thing, China. Now, what is China? China is actually glazed earthenware meaning it's made from clay, and there's a glass glaze over it. Now, pure earthenware is called stoneware. I think, I don't know if they use that term, but that's... The, so, a regular pottery, you don't have to be tyvel, actually. If I have a pottery uh, cup, a pottery mug, I don't have to be tyvel. But a china mug, and a lot of pottery is glazed, you can actually see it. If it has a certain shine or a sheen, so that's a machlokas. Do I look at it as a glass vessel? Or do I look at it as a pottery vessel? So in such a situation, you're tovel without a bracha, but what's better to do is you should be tovel it along with something like a metal fork that for sure you have to make a bracha and then have kavana. Right? So this is a general rule. Whenever you have something that doesn't that may not need a bracha, and you're not sure, but you're supposed to be table it to be sure, so you try to combine it with another item where you can definitely make the bracha. Okay, now, let's take a few things. What about something like a can opener? Now, a can opener does touch the food. I mean, as you know, you, you know you, it's metal, it's metal. And when you open a can, it's touching the food. But that's not the test. The test is not, if it touches the food, it needs to be left. It has to be something that either prepares the food to be eaten, or you eat the food with it. A fork, a plate. A can opener is not connected to preparing the food at all. Okay, so people make a mistake. A lot of people think, oh, if it touches the food, you've got a problem. That's not true. It has to be preparing the food or it has to be eating the food. So a can opener does not have to be tyveled, even if you are going to, even if it touches the food when you open the, the can. Now, what about canisters? This is another issue. This is an interesting issue. Canisters, let's say I have metal canisters. And in the metal canisters, I store anything. I store candy, I store rice, I store spaghetti. So that's a big machlokas. You'll find different postcoms. Some postcoms say you do not have to be table canisters because the canister is not cooking the food and the canister is not the thing that you're eating the food from. So there are postcoms that say that canisters are not clay suda. A canister is like a like container. You would hold something a like container that you keep things in. Like a pan. Like 
like cookie people keep cookie a cookie like, right, like, like the stuff you have outside there uh, you have the sugar the cocoa right yeah. all, all those things out there those are called canisters okay so do, do I don't know what Rayano did but do you have to be tovel the canister it's a machlokas once again it's a machlokas these are not, not here to give you definitive guidelines I, I just want you to understand the concept on the safe side, then? no so on the safe side you're tovel without a bracha and then what you do is you combine it with another item that you make a bracha. So you would toggle that with, let's say, with a, a fork, fork. With a fork. That, that's so correct. That, you can make a that That's correct. But now, wouldn't that be like, like, you know how when someone says kiddush, they have in mind? Yes. Wouldn't that be like, oh, well, having these jars in mind? Yeah, that's correct. That's so exactly that right. Is that an issue? No, why, why is it an issue? In other words... Because you're not supposed to say the bracha, but you're having... No, 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 but, but, but you're also, you also have in mind to cover the fork, so, yeah. so you're fine. Your bracha is not in vain because it's also covering the fork. Okay. So that's exactly what you do. Whenever uh, you have a doubt, the way you get out of the doubt is you also make sure that you're covering something else that for yeah. sure needs a, needs a bracha. So this is a little, the same topic, but a little off. Yeah. If you're making kiddush for all of us, and there's, there's another man here, and you say, I'm making Kiddush by having you all in mind, and then he decides to make Kiddush after that. Yeah. Is that an issue? So, so it really depends what was in his mind, meaning, meaning like this. If he had in mind to the, be Yotze... The other guy. Yeah, if that okay. man had in mind to be Yotze my Kiddush, and then he changes his mind... After I make Kiddush, it would be a blessing in vain for him to say Kiddush. So but, but if he didn't, if he had in mind he's that he's going to do it, then even if I said I'm doing it for him, he doesn't have to go along with it. Okay. By the way, ne- neither do you. you. You can also decide you want to make your own Kiddush. Would it be the same with the cookie jars and the fork? To say what? Like, if, if you toyvold the fork and yep. the bracha, yeah. and you did like one cookie jar and then you wanted to do another one, but you already said the bracha... To say after. Oh, yeah, well, that would be a problem because, because, again, on the cookie jar itself, you would not make a bracha, so you'd have to find another fork <laughs> to, do, to do it again. Okay, uh, now let me mention another. Again, I, I just want you to understand the types of questions here. Let's take something like poultry shears. Those are those, you know, what they are, the, the, the big scissors that you can cut through a chicken. Now, poultry shears, you would think, should require immersion in a mikvah because they're metal, right? They, and, they, and they're used in food preparation. But here we have another, see, there are a lot of different concepts here that some poskim say that in order to be chayev, in order to be called a kli seuda, it has to be a kli that brings the food to the final state of it being edible. So a pot brings the food to its final state. The poultry shear typically does not because it can be used after the food, the food is, is cooked, but often it's used when the chicken is raw. So since it is preliminary to final consumption, it doesn't have the status of a food preparation. A thing. Again, I'm not giving you a psak. I just want you to be aware so, because you're going to have different shilas about being table things. I want you to understand the concept. What about a salt shaker and a pepper shaker? Yeah. Now, you might say, oh, that just isn't that just isn't that a canister? Is this a small can? The answer is no, because salt and pepper shakers I use at the table, and because I use them at the table they are like plates 
and the like. I use them while I'm eating. So if it is a glass, most of them today are plastic, but if it is a glass shaker, or even if it's plastic, but the top is metal, top is metal, you would be Tyvel, you would be Tyvel. Yeah. Uh, two questions. One, if I got lottery from a Jew and from a non-Jew, is there any difference in what to do with them? Um, well, uh, if it's pottery that's not, it's glazed, not glazed, then for sure there's no obligation of mikvah. Uh, the only question is, uh, was the pottery used? Was it used for anything? I mean, like saying it was just made by these people. No, then it's the same. The halacha is exactly the same. There's no, there's no restriction. Okay. Yeah. But the, now, again, I want to clarify one thing. Be sure you understand the difference conceptually between tevila and kashering. These are two different issues. Koshering a vessel is when a vessel was used with non-kosher food. And that requires that you purge the vessel of whatever non-kosher food it absorbed, and that's either by boiling water, or by fire, or blow torches, or whatever it is. Tevila is a separate mitzvah that has nothing to do with whether it's kosher or not, even if the vessel was never used at all. You gotta be tevil. But it's also important to understand, an untoveled vessel is not a treif vessel. Let's assume that somebody was not tevil their pots and they serve me food. That food is not treif. It was wrong for them not to be taivel. But the food is not treif, unless treif food was cooked in that pot. So don't confuse this. There's a mitzvah to be taivel, but the food is not treif if it was cooked in an untoveled pot. Okay, but if the pot, sorry. Yeah. If the pot was made by a non-Jew, yeah. Or manufactured or whatever. Yeah. It's not trafe, even if you didn't wiggle it. Even, it's unused. It's not trafe. No, it's not like, trafe. I go to Walmart, I buy a pot. Yeah. Is it trafe? Well, no, why would it be? Well, well actually, okay, this raises another question. The truth of the matter is, you do have to know, uh, this is really a totally different, unrelated question, that a lot of pots might in fact be trafe, because you know, uh, pots are tested before they're put on yeah, the market. And down. sometimes they, they test them by putting in non-kosher oil. And uh, you know, the oil's not kosher, lard, or whatever it would be. So that, that actually is an issue. But, but, but in terms of not being tie-belt, it's not treif. It's not treif. So now, let me raise one of the perennial questions that people always have. And that is, oh yeah, I'm sorry. Um, if you have something like this water bottle, metal water bottle, plastic top. Yeah. So, do you toggle the bottle but not the top? Yeah, you don't have to be toggle the top, just okay. just the bottle itself. Uh, now. Can you? Yeah. Do the top? Yeah, that's no, it's no avera. It's just it's a superfluous. You don't need to. Yeah. Now here is the perennial question. This is the number one tevila question. When you have various electronic appliances, like you have uh, right fryers. You have coffee makers. You have urns, tea urns. Huh? What about a meat thermometer? No, so a meat thermometer, that's interesting. A meat thermometer. Huh? Maybe like a can opener? Yeah, a meat thermometer is not a problem. But a coffee maker, an urn, a tea urn, a toaster, 
right? All of these uh, things. Now, the, what's the problem people have? People say, oh, you're not supposed to immerse it in water. If you immerse it in water and you plug it in, it's going to explode. Whatever it's going to be, it's going to be uh, destroyed. So what do you do about being Tyvale, these electronic appliances? I mean, they are metal. They are metal. And uh, they are involved in the preparation of food, right? So Bapashtus, you start off with the idea that you're supposed to put them in the mikvah, right? So how do you, how do you get around it? So there are a few different ways to, to deal with this. What, method number one is grin and bear it, which actually is, is what I do, and, and this can be done, meaning to say the following. The, the product will get damaged normally only if you plug it in before it is thoroughly dried out, and then it short circuits. If you immerse it in the mikvah, and then don't use it for a week or 10 days, and you can even use your hair dryer to dry it out, usually it's going to be fine. So uh, now again, I don't want to, I'm not giving any warranties, but, but, but in my experience, usually it's going to be fine, but that actually is the best way, best way of doing it, meaning Tyvel and don't use for, for a week to 10 days, and uh, use your hair dryer to dry it out, you should be okay. However, there are heterim not to be Tyvel, and let me mention the hetero of Rav Moshe Feinstein. Rav Moshe Feinstein argues that something is called a food preparation utensil only if the food would be inedible unless you would use the utensil. So a pot cooks things like potatoes. It cooks things that are not edible. But a toaster and a coffee maker or a, 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 an urn you're just heating up water that is drinkable without the heating, and the bread is edible without uh, the toasting. So that's not called a food preparation uh, instrument or utensil, and that is a hetcher not to be type. Now, that's not going to work for everything. There may be types of griddles, like say waffle makers. I don't know. A waffle maker might not have a hetero like that because the waffle maker, if the way you normally use it is you pour dough and you pour batter into it, the batter is not edible. It's not like a tea urn or the like. So you'd have to know that Robert Moshe Feinstein's hetero would not work for all of these all of these things. Yeah. Um, I have a really dumb question. Yeah. If something becomes unkosher. Do you toil it like after you kosher it? Do you toil it before or after? Or do you okay, all right. So, he, so here's the thing. Uh, if something becomes, one second. Uh, if, if your own if your own thing becomes non-kosher, and you kosher it, you don't have to be toil it again, right? Now the issue is, if I buy a non-kosher used utensil from a guy, what is the sequence? Should I be toil and then kosher, or can I kosher and then toil? Yeah. Uh, either order is fine. Uh, the order does not make a difference. You can kosher before taivo or kosher after taivo. Now, there's some interesting questions about this. Uh, let's say you're a non-Jew and you convert to Judaism. Now, think about this. Uh, some say that essentially you are a Jew that has received everything from a guy. You're, 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 the, you're the guy and you're the Jew. Meaning, if I receive a pot from a guy, I gotta take it to the mikvah. If I was a guy who converted, I'm a guy who received, I'm sorry, I'm a Jew, 
who received something from a guy. In other words, every non-Jew who converts has to immerse all of his utensils in the mikvah. And if he immersed them before he converted, that wouldn't count because now he's a Jew that's getting it from a non-Jew. So that's an interesting chumrah. He could kosher. So again, this is a good example. If I'm a non-Jew about to convert and I have non-kosher dishes in my house, I can have them koshered before my conversion as long as I'm careful not to make them trafe again. I can have them koshered before my conversion, but I can't title them before my conversion. How? How well? How do you have them? How do you have them koshered? Yeah. You call your Chabad Shaliyah and kosher. Oh, you, do it, you, oh, you can't do it yourself. You can do it yourself too. Oh. I mean, you're told what to do. You can do it yourself. A guy can kosher utensils. Oh, really? So as like long you have as a housekeeper, they can kosher. They can kosher your thing. Yeah, but you need to be sure that they're doing it right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. A guy, a guy can kosher as long as uh, the guy has the right instructions and as long as the guy is supervised. But a guy cannot immerse his utensils because as soon as it goes into the possession of a Jew, there's a new obligation of tevila. You see, so uh, the guy would have to. T- not the guy. He's the ger. The ger, the guy who converts to Judaism would have to be title. Now, the same thing by Bechiras Chametz. There's an interesting thing. You know, all, most of you are going to probably sell your Chametz or go to the rabbi and sell your Chametz to a guy. Yeah. So have you ever heard that you're selling not only the Chametz, but you're also selling the Chametz that's absorbed in your pots and pans? Because you don't want to own any Chametz. But it's brought down la halacha that you have to sell only the chametz that's absorbed in the pots and pans, but do not sell the pots and pans. Why is that? Because if you sell the pots and pans to the guy, when all of this is repurchased after Pesach, you're going to have to take it to the mikveh again. So in order not to have to take it to the mikveh again, you are not selling the pots and pans, you're only selling the chametz in the pots and pans. Would you need to cover a water machine? Um, yeah, so that's a big problem. A water machine is a gigantic uh, b- big thing. Yeah. Yeah, so there, so like, so number one, like Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, for sure you would not, because it's only water, and it's not making the water uh, more drinkable. I mean, it's drinkable without that. Number two, some say as well that the chiyav of tefillah is only when something is described as a utensil. Now, a utensil halachically means something that is commonly, easily moved from place to place. Things that are big, things that are heavy, that commonly stay in one place, are not utensils. That's why, for example, you don't have to be taivel a stove. <laughs> Think about this. If I have to be taivel a pot, then why shouldn't I have to be taivel a stove? Uh, now, the answer is, you know, if you have like a burner, maybe you do have to be type it, like a small burner. But if it's a whole stove, since that's something that's not moved from place to place, it doesn't have the status of a utensil and therefore would not require to be. Ice, maker? Uh, like ice trays. Yeah, so, so, uh, so that goes back. Yeah, so that goes back to, uh, so number one, an ice tray would be, if it's a metal ice tray, a lot of ice trays are plastic. Yeah, if it's a metal ice tray, so again, like Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, you would not have to. 
And others would, would treat an ice tray like a canister, really. It's, it's, uh, and therefore, they, they would uh, allow you not to be tabled. Yeah? Um, I'm wondering that if plastic and wood doesn't need to be tabled, yes. why do uh, I don't. I don't know. It's it's, it's really a chumrah. It's not. Uh, it's absolutely. Not. Are you sure they do that? I, I did not. I did not hear that. So plastic. Okay. Okay. Plastic. There is. There is a bit of a shaila about plastic. Uh, some. Some will say, plastic. You have to be tayvul. Wood. Wood is totally unknown to me. That there's any reason. Okay. So plastic. Okay. That goes back to the idea that. Uh, See, plastic, that, that's the problem. I mean, as the Torah says, metal, yeah, and wood, not. Mm-hmm. And plastic is in between. The plastic is not described, so the question is, do you assign it to, to the A column or to the B column? So there is a shayla about plastic. I mean, I, 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 was, I was telling you the halacha, but, but uh, some would be machmer in plastic. Uh, I, I don't know any basis to be machmer on wood or on earthenware, on plain earthenware, unless it's glazed. With China, so the final issue again. I, again, there are a lot of halachas. I don't want to overwhelm you with with details. I just want to mention one other common halacha. Oh, oh two, 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 two more halachas that I want to mention. Halacha number one is disposable aluminum tins. People buy these loaf tins or whatever, even bigger ones, and it's metal, right? Once again, you use it to cook food. So the question is, uh, if it's chad pa'ami, if it's disposable, are you mechuyev to be taivo? So here, I want to correct people with a common misconception. You will sometimes hear people say, you are allowed to use something one time without being, t- without being title. That's not true. If you buy a pot that's intended to be used multiple times, you're not supposed to use it even one time without being title. But there is a concept that if the vessel is intended to be used only once, in other words, it's not that the first time I don't have to be tabled. If it's intended to be used only once, there are some opinions who will not require you to be tabled. Uh, so there is a basis to be lenient. Others will be tabled without a bracha, and they'll make a bracha and a fork, or whatever it is. Uh, others will punch a hole in the bottom of it, so it's kind of a broken vessel, although that may impair the, uh, the utility of it as a cooking vehicle. Uh, but again, be sure you understand the difference. The statement, you can use it one time without tevila, is false. The statement, if it's only going to be used one time, I don't have to be taivel. That may be true. That, that There is a, a, a machlokas about that. But then you have to be careful, because a lot of times people do use, people do reuse aluminum tins. They don't always uh, throw them out after one, uh, after one use. Yeah. So let's say I have an aluminum tin, and I use it once, and yep. because they are meant to be single use, I'm not thinking about using it again. Yep. But then after whatever I cook, I see that it's very easily clean. Yep. Yep. Should I twiggle it after? Yes, yes, yes. And it's not a problem yeah. that I didn't twiggle it before? Well, it, as I say, it doesn't make your food tray. That goes back to my earlier point. Even though you shouldn't have used it. Should I not? I can still eat that food. If I eat yeah, it. yeah, that's right. That's what I'm saying. Now, there's the food. This is important. The food does not become tray. Okay. After the fact. So nothing really happened. So that's yeah, that, that's correct. That's correct. Now, one final. Yeah, sir. If you know that you're probably going to end up reusing that. Then you you then you, you, you take it to the mix. That's correct. That is correct. That is correct. What if you use it like, use it once, you wash it out, and then you're like, hmm, I can use it again. No, no. So at that point, you take it to at that point, you take it to the mikvah. 
But even like the second time, you're like, oh, I know I can only do one time after this. Should you still? Oh, I see. In other words, like you can only. Use again. Oh, I see. Uh, that, that's a, that's an interesting question. Meaning. Uh, your total uses is there two, and you, yeah. you didn't. Um, but the second time, that's you're a good like, point. Oh, I, I would think in that case you don't. You don't. Yeah, I think it's a good it's point. It's like the same thing with the fourth. You ever use like a fork for your yeah. coffee? Yeah. 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 Like you're talking about a plastic spoon. Yeah. 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 Now, the final issue I want to raise is an issue that's very nogea to Bali Tshuva. And uh, this is a halacha of the Ramah in the Shulchan Aruch. The Ramah says, based on what I said before, that even though the food is not treif, but you yourself are not allowed to use a vessel that was not immersed, even one time, unless it's aluminum foil made to be chad pa'ami. In other words, I'm not allowed to eat on untovel dishes. I'm not allowed to eat with an untovel fork. I'm not allowed to do that. Yeah, the food is not trafe if I transfer it to something else, but I'm not allowed to use dishes that are not tovel. That's the halacha the Ramah writes. So the question becomes, uh, how can I eat at my parents' house let's assume my parents are not observant, but they, they, they accommodate me. They made kosher food for me. They even koshered all the utensils, or they got me separate pots and pans, uh, but they haven't been tie-belt. So how am I allowed to use them? Now, uh, do I have to have plastic or paper? So here, many say the Ramah is a big problem, that you, know, you can't eat, it, uh, eat on those pots and pans, or I'm sorry, you can't eat on the plates unless you're tie-belt, but Rav Shlomo Zaman Orbach has an important tetra, and he says, the prohibition against using non-tovelt pots is only on the owner of the pots. It's like a punishment because they have an obligation to take it to the mikvah. But if I'm a guest or a child, and these, is, these are not my pots and pans, I don't have a problem eating off them. In other words, it's not my problem, it's my parents' problem. And if at, this, at that point in their lives they're not concerned about that, that is not uh, my problem. It's not a kashrus problem. That's a very important leniency that can help in a lot of those difficult cases. Okay, so again, I, I don't want to overwhelm you with detail, but are there any, uh, any other questions about this uh, that I could help you with? Alrighty, so maybe we'll, we'll stop here. And uh, again, I, I just repeat, as I always repeat, if there's anything you want me to talk about, please send me an email.